You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Westwood One's Podcast Network in CRTV land. It is Monday afternoon, May 7th. I hope you guys had a meaningful and enjoying, really enjoyable Cinco de Mayo weekend. Because let me tell you, folks, this is what you guys will be celebrating in the coming years if you guys don't wake up and understand what conservatives need to fight for and what we need to pay attention to. Um, you know, as long as I have a microphone, as long as I have some sort of a platform, I have told you guys I'm going to commit to speaking the truth and focusing on what's important. But I'll tell you, it's getting tiring with so many of my colleagues in this business just distracted by nonsense. You know, if there's a hundred issues going on, they'll take issue number hundred and that will be issue number one. And on down the line. You know, one by one, we're getting rolled on a lot of issues. There's a couple of good things the president's doing. Hopefully later this week, he'll get rid of the Iran deal. So there are some good things to look forward to. But there's a lot more we can be doing if we as a movement focused on it, focused on the president, focused our attention to him and said, hey, you can be doing this. Do you understand you say this, but your administration is doing something else? <clears throat> and this is very evident with immigration. But anyway, as long as I have that megaphone, I'm going to keep using it, even though my voice is still messed up from this terrible cold. But I'm, I'm thankful to be back with you guys this week. So anyway, we're going to go over as many individual items as we can on immigration, on jailbreak, on the upcoming Tuesday night elections. And you'll see a lot of conservatives are asleep at the switch and we're focusing on nonsense. You know, whereas the Democrat leadership, the left-wing leadership, they're akin to an army that is led by generals, colonels, flag officers who do everything they can to march their army forward strategically position it to the most advantageous position that they could strike and be victorious with. What's our movement? Most of our leaders are akin to generals, colonels, flag officers, marching along aimlessly and taking selfies of them at each uh, apple orchard. That's what we're like. It's all about, oh, my latest hot take, not, oh my gosh, this is going on. This is a big problem. Here's what we can be doing. Hey, Mr. Trump, here's what we should be doing. And you know what I'm I'm headed at, where I'm headed to. It's where we ended last week and where we're um, going to pick it up this week. You know, I got a lot of good feedback from you guys about Foreign Policy Friday. 
where we have Jordan Schachtel, our CR's national security correspondent, on. And we discussed Hezbollah in the Western Hemisphere, in Mexico, at our border, inside our borders, working with the drug cartels, a project we're going to work on more in the coming days, and just how there's nobody even talking about it. And the reason why this is so important now is because on a major issue, this whole business of the border surge and the caravan and the drug war all coming together, all these issues, sanctuary cities, MS-13, the drug cartels, the drug crisis, which is misdiagnosed, massive surge almost to 2015 levels from Central America, pouring over our border, a couple of them very high-profile Soros-funded caravans, others just individually. They come over. Against our will, they're brought in. Against our will, they're processed. Against our will, they're let go, never to appear for their court cases. Against our will, they flood our communities, our schools, with all sorts of problems. Against our will, they overwhelm our hospitals. Against our will, they're counted in the census and disenfranchise our representation, adding more representatives and and electoral votes to states like California, distorting block, block rank programs. And against our will, they drop babies on our soil, not only ensuring that they stay, which many of them stay anyway, but that their kid is a U.S. citizen who gets to vote, but on behalf of whom they immediately secure the full panoply of welfare. And that's what's happening now. And the Trump administration promised to end catch and release. They promised to properly interpret the asylum statute, to properly interpret this unaccompanied alien child statute, to block nakedly political caravans that clearly are an invasion, not asylum. And yet they let them in. And yet nobody's doing anything about it. You know, part of what is driving my message for today is an interview I saw over the weekend from my friend Louis Gomert, congressman from Texas, when he was just saying conservatives need to focus on this. They need to express outrage and you know get, get everyone involved. And believe me, Louis Gomert is focused on Robert Mueller and on, on the Russia stuff more than anyone. He put out a whole 40-page dossier on Mueller. So it's not like he's not also focused on that, but at least he had enough time to highlight this issue, much less demand action on it. But where are our people? Our people are asleep at the switch. This border invasion is a huge problem. And again, it comes at a time when I suspect, particularly the Los Zetas cartel, is working closely with Hezbollah. More Middle Easterners are coming in. And, you know, even if even if we don't have terrorists, what we certainly have is a public charge. And we're going to pay for all this. You know, a couple weeks ago, 
I was going to stop even talking about this caravan because I didn't even think it was a big deal. To me, it was obvious. It was a no-brainer that, of course, Trump was going to block it. Of course, even the organizers didn't think they'd get in. They were just using this as a political stunt. But nonetheless, I was still going to warn people that, look, you kept out this 300-person blatant invasion through a Soros-funded cartel, a caravan, but just understand that every month now, we have 50,000 that come in with less pomp and less publicity, but they come in at our points of entry, through the points of entry, and surrender themselves to border agents. And you can imagine with such a surge how many thousands, probably up to 50 to 100 to 150,000 more we don't interdict, how many dr- you know drug smugglers come in, MS-13 gang members, and then again, his Hezbollah, Lazeta smuggled Middle Easterners. But much to my surprise, even the, cart- the, the caravan is not being stopped. So it started out with a thousand of them. Most of them, um, you know, just didn't make the full trip because it was just all political. But as of the weekend, according to BuzzFeed, at least 228 of these invaders were allowed to be processed. We opened the gates for them. They were, they were brought in. And again, according to uh, this is BuzzFeed reporter, their, I guess their immigration reporter, Adolfo Flores is reporting, he reported on Twitter over the weekend, just spoke with a woman via phone who turned herself in Tuesday, so that was already the first few they were letting in, and was released from CBP custody this morning after passing her credible fear interview and being given a court date. So at least one person from the caravan has been released. So, So not only are they letting them onto our soil when we don't have to do it, they shouldn't be let in at all. Their claims should be processed at the Mexico City um, embassy. And by the way, you could take that to the bank. Don't let anyone convince you they have to be let on our soil. They can be pushed out. Nobody ever is a, has the right, even with asylum laws, to violate and trespass our sovereignty. Section 235B2C of the INA specifically allows DHS to return to Mexico any alien seeking admission or asylum at the point of entry, you know, pending their final outcome. They don't have to be brought in and certainly be released to, and disappear. And again, President Trump ordered DHS. This was one of the first things he did. This was an executive order from January 25th of 2017, by the way, first week in office. It's Section 7 of Executive Order well, 13767 to properly interpret the statute and ensure that they're not brought in this country pending the outcome. It also directed that they properly interpret the asylum statute, which to begin with, it's, it's only if you have a credible fear of ethnic, racial, um, you know, religious persecution, for, or you're persecuted because of your public opinion, 
these people has nothing to do with anything. Let me ask you a question. If anyone of if anyone from an impoverished violent country is entitled to asylum, do the math. Isn't that going to be like two billion people? At least a billion people? Heck, you could say India and China alone are uh are worth over two billion. Well over two billion people. But I mean certainly hundreds of millions of people from Latin America. So why don't we just land the boats directly there? I'm saying if this administration is gonna let them in, process them, let them go, continue to also misinterpret the UAC statute and separate them out and, and give them refugee status and settle them in, in America when they are not, quote, severely trafficked as required by statute. They are self-trafficked and they're not here without a guardian. They're being reunited with a relative who often traffics them. So they're not eligible for the status. This, this DHS is continuing to do so. What is going on? But yet the president keeps complaining about it and saying, Congress needs to do something. Look, I'll be the first to tell you that Congress's focus every day should be on this and tied into the drug crisis. Make this part of the opioid agenda instead of their stupid big government Medicaid big spending bills. Addressing healthcare and prescriptions when they should be addressing, addressing the drug cartels, MS-13 sanctuary cities, and the border. Should also be addressing Hezbollah. You do this, you'll win the election. This is what I hope Jim Jordan uses to run for speaker and shames them every day. But that that's the job of a guy like Jim Jordan. Not, not that the president shouldn't help put pressure on Congress. But the point is, he needs to start by putting pressure on his own people. Even under existing law. The laws are only problematic. I said this before. It's only when you have a liberal president who could use the laws for discretion to let them in. But you certainly have the discretion not to let them in. The laws are not problematic in that sense. And yet his own – I mean the same way we have no sovereignty over our own country. Our, our, our national sovereignty is being gang raped and there's nothing we can do about it. Trump evidently has no sovereignty over his own Homeland Security secretary. This is a growing problem where this administration is just singing on different tunes. DOJ under Jeff Sessions, and I know a lot of people are disappointed with him on the Mueller stuff and things like that, but when it comes to immigration, he's implementing the president's campaign agenda. So he's clamping down on sanctuary cities, although you got the courts issue. He's at least talking about finally fighting back against the courts. He's, um, from their end, doing everything they can to hire more assets and put them at the border in terms of immigration judges. He actually issued a memo last week directing each U.S. attorney's office along the border to prosecute every illegal entry offense referred for prosecution by DHS. You know, so if you catch people organizing these caravans, he says, let's criminally prosecute them, and that will be a big deterrent. But here's the deal. 
Oh, and by the way, that also includes adults who smuggle their minor children, which, ahem, is most of these people. So that's a big deterrent. Meaning, not only shouldn't we be giving status to these so-called unaccompanied alien children, we should be finding their parents who traffic them and prosecuting them. So Sessions wants to do that, but he needs them referred. DOJ doesn't go out and catch these people. That's all run by DHS. So this administration, this White House, needs to get on the ball. But I'll tell you, Trump's not going get, to get on the ball on most issues unless you get in his face. But we're not. We're not. You know what our movement is akin to? Let me tell you a story. A made-up story, but it's a story nonetheless. You have three people who saved the king. And he's really grateful to them. And he announces that on such and such a day, from sunrise to sunset, you have as much opportunity as you could you know, utilize that time, those 12 hours of the day, to go into my treasury and take all the riches you want. Take anything you want. So there's a bunch of people in the king's palace, you know, servants that are very jealous of these people. So he goes ahead, they go ahead and, and think of a subterfuge to keep these guys out of the treasury from fulfilling this mandate and getting the rewards. So what do they do? They create a massive banquet, a hero's welcome for these three people. You guys are awesome, and they have lavish food, a smorgasbord, music, all giving speeches of what great people they are. Person A comes in immediately to this banquet on the way to the treasury hall, and he's like, this is stupid. I'm not going to sit and waste my time today um, eating some some of your food and, and being indulged, being sweet-talked. I'm going to go to that treasury, and I'm going to take everything I can in one day. So he does so, and he comes out at, at the end of that night with you know more more wealth than he could imagine enough to keep him sustained for the rest of his life and maybe his children and grandchildren as well without ever working again. Second guy comes in there and he's like, "Man, this stuff smells good." Comes in there, starts eating, starts getting involved with other servants, booze, women, you name it. And then the clock's ticking, and then he realizes as the sun's going down, oh my gosh, I'm missing my entire purpose of being here. And he compl- and he, he just bolts out immediately, goes in the treasury, doesn't have that much time, but at least secures enough that he's able to come out with a respectable amount of wealth for the remainder of his life. Then you have the third person who gets so involved in this banquet that He gets drunk, completely intoxicated, falls asleep in a drunken stupor from his fill of wine and meat, and then he wakes up the next day on the floor, throwing up, 
with the servants laughing out of him. And he missed his time in the treasury. What I just said over is an old Jewish parable to describe a person's purpose on this world, what they're supposed to be doing, to take with them when they get up there in heaven at the end of their life. But I think it aptly describes modern-day conservatives that they are the number three. We're already not the first person. As it relates to this political opportunity, control the House, Senate, but not really because they're a bunch of leftists anyway. They're fake Republicans. But you got Donald Trump as president. Trump, for all of his faults, and believe me, there are many, and believe me, I'm never going to suddenly you know, become comfortable with his personal things he's, he's done in his life. But nonetheless, he is very appreciative of conservatives for getting him elected. He's very sensitive to that mandate. And he wants to do a lot of what we want to do. Just doesn't know how to do it. And certainly it's not going to be his number one priority if you don't get in his face. And we have this golden opportunity. It's not going to last for too long. But to run up the score on as many issues as possible. Now, I'd argue my analogy isn't so isn't perfect because there's no real way to get in there with any Republican presidency and secure enough victories for the rest of your life because – there, are, there is no such thing as a permanent conservative victory, whereas on the other side, they, they do have it. You know, They'll just counterman what we do when they get in power, whereas we don't reverse what they do when they're in power. But nonetheless, you get my point. This is an opportunity you're not going get to get too often, particularly on the immigration issue, to start changing policies, changing precedents. And what are we doing? What are we doing? It's all about the selfies. Oh, this is a great opportunity for me to get on Fox News and uh, talk about my latest hot take. And meanwhile, everyone's ignoring what matters. So we're already not going to be the first guy. The question from now until November is, are we going to be the second guy or the third guy? Are we going to wake up and salvage something as a movement from this two years of full control? Or are we going to go down in a blaze of fire and accomplish nothing and get crushed in November anyway and with nothing to show for it? Then come two years later, maybe Trump will win. Maybe he won't, but it won't matter because they'll have control. Even if we get narrow control back, what's the, who's the we? Fake Republicans. You'll have the same scandals, the same focus. Won't focus on the issues. Won't focus on what we could accomplish. And we'll get the same results. And that's what we're seeing on immigration. There's a lot of things we can be doing. And we don't take advantage of it because we don't have a movement focused on it. And let me just say this with immigration. You know, this stuff is irrevocable. You know, for every person that we allow to stay, that we incentivize to come in, we're never going to turn the clock back on that. Ever. I'm just warning you guys. You know, we will be stuck paying for that person. We'll be stuck with a lot of them becoming MS-13 recruits, drug mules. And yes, they're eventually going to become citizens. 
or legal permanent residents. And by the way, this is how we have so much of the chain migration. A lot of the legal immigration we have from Latin America came from one of the original iterations of illegal immigration. And especially the so-called children, which are the worst, the most saturated with MS-13, you know, roughly a fifth of them are have, have ties to gangs, drugs. We're never going to get that out of this country. And what's so sad is, again, thinking of the riches in the king's palace, the opportunity, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we had on this issue. Trump was so publicly regarded as a border hawk, even beyond what his reputation deserved. But that was a good thing because a lot of this is incentivizing. It's all about perception. And the good news when it comes to this issue is that when when he was elected president, you had the Trump effect where the drug cartels are like, holy smokes, he's actually going to shut this down. And a lot of people stopped coming over. The first few months of his presidency, it, it basically shrunk to a trickle. Lowest level in decades. It was amazing. And now it's back up to the full levels and we're on the cusp of really exploding, but particularly among family units and these, you know, 17-year-old children crossing, it's just going, it, it, the, the number of family units crossing in April, the new April numbers came out from CBP, uh, it increased by 7.5% just from the high baseline of March. But if you go back to year-over-year numbers from last April, which was the, the Nadir, but that's what we could have been at. Do you know that the UAC crossings, and this is, I'm sorry, this is not crossings. These are interdictions. You can imagine the ones we didn't catch. Crossings have been up 370%, while family units crossing skyrocketed 695%. None of that would have happened had we had a movement focusing Trump's attention so he wouldn't be talking about DACA for months and you know just spawning this. But what's what's particularly jarring is that the House Energy and Commerce Committee, you know, the, the Congress is doing nothing. Notice I haven't really spoken about Congress yet. They're doing nothing important this week. But House ENC committee is going to mark up a hundred pieces of legislation on the opioid crisis while they're making it worse. I mean, isn't it amazing you have a patient come in with stage five cancer and they focus on a big toe instead of they start operating on your big toe and actually downright make the cancer worse. They're fueling the drug problem, which is entirely a border drug cartel problem mixed with Hezbollah, by the way. Yet they won't address it. They'll make it worse with all these incentives and clamoring to pass more DACA amnesty, which is what started the drug crisis in the first place. But then, then let's focus on uh, all these treatment programs, not to mention going after doctors and, and manufacturers of, of prescription drugs, which has nothing to do with this business. It has nothing to do with it. You could take that to the bank. Sure, some of it's diverted, 
and sold by the same drug cartels. But in terms of the number of people that are properly prescribed, long-term pain patients, short-term, you know, post-op prescriptions, that they just irrevocably get hooked on it and OD on OxyContin, not being a drug addict in their past life, or somehow go to heroin from that is just not happening. The data doesn't show that. And it's funny, the, the media is now finally catching up to this, at least in some way. Oh, it's really an illicit drug problem. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Congress hasn't caught up yet. But it's unbelievable. You know, one, one of the other things going on, so, so just to reiterate, if you haven't heard our whole podcast from Friday, Jordan and I discussing Hezbollah in the Western Hemisphere and their ties to the drug cartels. So just basically the crux of what I'm talking about here is <clears throat> that the reports you're seeing with a surge in Middle Easterners coming over the border, mainly from Bangladesh and Syria, they're coming in at the Laredo sector. The Laredo sector on the Mexican side of the border is controlled by the Los Zetas cartel. They're the ones with the established ties to Hezbollah. Right, they're the cartel that was recruited in 2011 to assassinate the Saudi ambassador. Very close. They get weapons from Hezbollah. They get training. Um, there's Hezbollah operatives on the ground in Los Zetas controlled Mexican territory. So when you start seeing Middle Easterners come in, most prominently in Laredo, when most of the border crossings are in California, Tucson, or Rio Grande sector, and those are either in the Sinaloa cartel territory or the Gulf cartel in the case of Rio Grande, you know Hezbollah has got to be involved in that. Because the routes they come from in the Middle East, they go, they, they go to Lebanon, and th that's where Hezbollah is based, but they fly to Brazil, which is where Hezbollah has their base in Latin America. And then they're trafficked along with the cocaine routes, right? Again, because that's that's another connection. We're seeing a spike in cocaine, fentanyl-laced cocaine deaths. And that's mainly unlike the heroin, which comes from Sinaloa. That's coming from Los Zetas, which is involved in the cocaine trade along with Hezbollah, which is involved in the cocaine trade from their work in the Andes, their base of operations in Venezuela, uh, together with the connection of both of them to FARC, and we're gonna and we're gonna talk about that more, you know, in the coming days. But it's just amazing how conservatives don't care, and it's amazing the ramifications of this open border. Like I'm telling people, if we're gonna get to the point where basically we're responsible for every person in this world who lives in an impoverished, violent country. Why don't we just take our boats there and pick them up? At least in that case, we won't have a chaotic border and incentivize this atmosphere at a border that allows drugs and Hezbollah Middle Easterners to come over. At least shut that down and then just bring them in directly in a controlled fashion. I'm not saying I believe in that, but I'm saying even if we did that, we'd be better off than where we are today, bringing in the drugs, the gangs, and... and uh, Middle Easterners. <clears throat> so that's that with immigration. 
And, and, and by the way, this is not the only immigration issue. Notice it was announced that Trump's ending TPS, his temporary protected status for Hondurans and those from Nepal, several other places. Basically, just so you know, temporary protected status um, is not some sort of amnesty program. Right, temporary protected status, for those of you who haven't been following this, it's for a very limited population of people who happen to be in our country when an earthquake um, or a monsoon, a hurricane, some sort of natural disaster hit, and they cannot return home. It makes a lot of sense. Keep in mind, if you understand statute, we're, we're – a compassionate people in a sensible way, if you understand the way the statutes were written, they make a lot of sense. It wasn't, they weren't written to bring in people from countries that had natural disaster. They weren't written to grant amnesty to those here illegally who then happened to stay to at a point that their home country had a natural disaster and nothing to do with that. It was very specifically for people who happen to strike gold and be in this country on vacation or for whatever reason at a time when a natural disaster hit. That, that's very few people. And in the case of Honduras, where there's 60,000 people with TPS status, you could bank on it that you didn't have 60,000 impoverished Hondurans vacationing at our expensive hotels when Hurricane Mitch hit in 1999. No. Almost to a person, they're illegal aliens. Should have never had the status to begin with. So on the one hand, you'll say, oh, well, didn't I read in the news that Trump's DHS got rid of TPS? Well, the problem is they gave an 18-month grace period. Well, you say, okay, well, maybe that's better than nothing. At least it's better than Obama. At least he's finally ending it. Well, as you well know, it's all show because a lot can happen in 18 months. But you don't need to speculate what might happen. Here's what is happening. McClatchy is reporting. The Trump administration is quietly considering allowing immigrants from countries devastated by war or natural disasters to stay in the United States, even as it has let some protections for de from deportation expire. There you go. And then once they're in the country, they're already getting standing to sue for all sorts of rights, driver's licenses, benefits, you name it. We're never going to get them out. So he's playing this game. Well, I won't deport them, but I won't give them official status. Nonsense. None of them are going to be deported unless we raise our voices. But of course, all my colleagues, are, are they're, they're distracted. You know, look, I'll come on here even with a sore throat and never-ending cold. And by the way, I, th I thank you so much for bearing with me. Um, it sounds horrible. I could barely get the words out clearly. But you know, thank you for continuing to listen. Hopefully by the end of the week, we'll be back to normal. But uh, this is the problem. and So this is just immigration. But then there's the elections. So you might think, all right, people make a mistake. They keep electing liberal Republicans. But now that you had this blatant betrayal, they have the House. They have the Senate. They have the White House, and they still do not repeal Obamacare. They, they do not address immigration. In fact, they push amnesty. They don't do anything. They, you had the omnibus betrayal. There's just going to be a massive wave at the polls to throw these people out. 
while they're betraying us, we have primaries going on. It's not like you have to wait 10 years. It's happening now. And yet, conservatives aren't focused. Because we won't engage properly. We won't, as I noted a couple weeks ago, push all my colleagues to actually lead primary reform and push for Utah model conventions so we could recruit better candidates and actually knock these people off. No, no. So Tuesday night, we have elections in Ohio, Indiana, West Virginia, North Carolina. So before we get to the Senate races, I'll I'll just kind of go round robin here, just demonstrate the problem. We're not knocking off anyone. We're not winning open seats. We're not even holding our numbers. But I want to give you a data point you're not going to hear anywhere else. Some of you might have heard me on American Family Radio. I gave some of this over. <clears throat> but um, there are 17 Republican House incumbents who are running for re-election who voted for the omnibus bill. And almost to a person, probably with the exception of possibly one, they will all get reelected. And most of them, there's no even there, there's no challenge. Scott Free. I mean, you want to know why the party is like it the way it is, why there's no deterrent. That's why. We don't do anything. <clears throat> We're just focused on, oh, whoa, we, we gotta keep the house, keep the Senate. We don't have the house or Senate in the first place. Let's focus on winning primaries so we can get it. No, we don't focus on that. All sorts of pukes. The only one is Robert Pittenger in North Carolina's 9th District. Mark Harris, who is the guy who's endorsed by the Club for Growth, he was the guy who led the marriage amendment, the last successful marriage um, initiative before the courts took it away from the people. Um, Mark Harris, big social conservative activist. Again, I can't vouch for everything, but I know Meadows likes him. Um, you know, it certainly would be an improvement from Pittenger. He, because of his statewide network with the churches, he has he's raised about five hundred thousand dollars. Now Pittenger has over a million, but that five hundred thousand is respectable. He only lost by I think a couple hundred votes last time when he challenged Pittenger. So we'll watch for that. That might be our one success story, maybe, of knocking off an incumbent. But every other one is a puke, and they're gonna win. Every one of them. Every one of them. You go to, and by the way, I'm not even including the two existing House members who are running for Senate, Evan Jenkins in West Virginia and Luke Messer in Indiana, who also voted for um for the omnibus bill. Now I didn't include them in the number, that would be nineteen, because they're vacating their house seats to run for Senate and they, they actually might not win their Senate seat, but that only because it's a competitive open seat. And then you got Rakita. The other guy in Indiana who um who is uh not much better. You know, very he was one of those that yeah, they you know, they didn't need his vote for the omnibus bill, so he voted against it, but he voted for the rule to bring it up. But you look at a state like Indiana, you go through the house races. You got Jackie Walorski, total puke, voted for the omnibus bill. You know, she is um, she is un. She's not even challenged. Not 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 even by a. She's not even getting a challenger from an 
unknown candidate, much less a viable one. Nothing. So she's going to win uh, re-election easily. Easily. I mean, how sad is that? 51% Liberty score, by the way. Then you have a guy, Jim Banks. This is a guy that I used to, you know, we used to communicate when he, he was running for office. He was endorsed by SCF, a lot of the conservative groups, and he completely lied to everyone. I, I've never seen someone who flipped that quickly. Took about two weeks. He voted for the omnibus bill. I mean, Jim Banks is a textbook definition of why this party is irremediably broken. Until we change a new party, it, it just even we thought he would be one of the solid guys that cycle, and instead, he's a puke. So you got that. You got um, what else we have? Susan Brooks, awful, awful. I mean, you know, sometimes she's to the left of leadership. She is a thirty-six percent. 36%. What else do we have? Trey Hollingsworth. The guy was a Democrat most of his life. Um, nothing doing there. He bought, by the way, he, he's a guy who bought himself the election. He's a freshman. He bought himself the election two years ago. It was an open seat, solid seat, safe seat. Ten people ran, each one more conservative than the next, but he had all the money and he just bought it for himself. Then you got Larry Bouchon, another puke. Now, he does have Dr. Richard Moss. He's one of the candidates we had on the show. Um, look, I mean, Richard did raise about $136,000, so that's something. But, you know, I'd be I'd be surprised if he pulls it out, but we'll see. That would be a pretty pleasant surprise. And then you got the open seats from Messer and Rakita, who are tearing each other apart. They're running for Senate. And, you know... The, the leading candidate is this Diego Morales in Rakita's seat. That's the kind of West Central East Lafayette area in Indiana. Um, he is a, a puke. He's running. He's the main candidate. And uh, it looks like the main candidate in Messer's seat is Mike Pence. Um, Pence's brother. And I know a lot of people worked for Pence. I know a lot of people in Indiana. And um, they tell me he is a less schooled version of the current version of Mike Pence, not the old Mike Pence of the past, um, who just has a lot of money and wants to use his name and money to enjoy himself in Washington. So, I mean, it, <clears throat> complete wipeout. What about the Senate seat? So notice I haven't had, I barely had candidates from the Senate on this program because there are no stars. There are no stars in the Senate. We're getting nobody. You know, one candidate that everyone was kind of hyping for me, I actually reached out to him. Now, I'm, the only reason I'm not going to say the name is because, look, maybe eventually he, they will get back to me. But the flack for this guy was really excited to talk to me. It was like, yeah, this is great. Let's have him on. And then I never heard from them. And what that tells me is that my suspicion was correct, that he's really he really wants to straddle everything. And he's ashamed to come on with a guy like me, even in a primary, because he doesn't want to poison his relationship with the establishment. And I've heard from back channels, again, until I confirm this, I don't want to say the name, that he 
refuses to commit to being opposed to Mitch McConnell and wouldn't even commit to being against the omnibus bill. But again, I don't have that confirmed, but this is what we have. But but and, and by the way, it's not in Indiana, but in Indiana, you have a three-man race. So you have Rakita and Messer were the presumed front runners because they were congressmen. They were known in their districts. They fought against each other. And this wealthy businessman who's also a state rep, um, Mike Brown, comes in and is upending them. Now, I think he, he's getting a lot of the base because he's running as an outsider. Now, he was a Democrat for a lot of his life. In, in the state legislature, he did vote for some bad things. But at least he's... You know, he is at least a blank slate that I think if conservatives would get to him, not that they will, because we never focus on, you know, candidate outreach like that and staffing. But if we actually did, you know, this is where Jim DeMint's organization should come in. I think if he wins, that will at least be a shot across the bow to the establishment. Again, most people who have no intellectual or values based understanding of what they want to do, like a Chip Roy, they're not going to come in there and be righteous. Um, But at least you have a fighting chance with him as opposed to the other two guys. Forget it. You're screwed. So that's Indiana. Just awful. <clears throat> um, Ohio. It's one rhino after another. So unfortunately, this is really sad. The one good guy we might have gotten in Senate for this is to run against Sherrod Brown, the Democrat, is what's his name? Um, it was Josh Mandel. Unfortunately, his wife developed this rare disease and he just he obviously couldn't run anymore because of it. So he dropped out. And we have Jim Renacy, who is one of the many Rhino House members from Ohio. Um, he'll be another Rob Portman to the left of leadership. And this businessman, Mike Gibbons, who's running as an outsider, businessman, Trump. But everything I could see, and I've heard from people who met with him, he is complete is a complete tool for Rob Portman. Pretty much just as bad as Renacy. So nothing to look at there. Governor, same thing. Mary Taylor's maybe a little bit better. I prefer her over DeWine, but you know, not much of an improvement. I mean, I guess Taylor would, would be better than Kasich. DeWine would be another Kasich. But you look at the House races. There's roughly 12 House members, and almost all of them are horrible. The only real good ones are Jordan and Warren Davidson, but the rest, I guess Chabot is somewhere in the middle. The rest are pukes. Almost all of them voted for the omnibus bill. And they're going to get reelected. Now, there are the open seat for Renacy, as well as Pat Tiberi is a, a rhino who is not running for re-election. So there are proxy battles between Jim Jordan and um, Kevin McCarthy. So we'll, we'll be watching those races. I don't know them too well other than, you know, Jim Jordan's endorsing one. So in uh, District, what is this, District 12, Tiberi's seat, there is Melanie, Melanie Lenigan. Um, is being supported by Jordan. I forget the guy who is, is McCarthy's guy in a similar thing in District 16. Um, what's her name? Uh, it's, it's another... What is this? Christina Hagen, yes. Um, 
she seems pretty fiery. So, you know, again, on the surface, she seems to be pretty good. She's endorsed by Jordan. And then this Rhino, um, Anthony Gonzalez is, is, a uh, Kevin McCarthy's guy. So, Look, I guess you could say we could shift two house seats to the right, potentially. That would be a good night if we do that. I mean, you get the pattern. We never knock off incumbents in the House. We never get good guys in the Senate. The question is, who's the lesser of all evils? And then, um, you know, open house seats, maybe we'll win one or two here and there. But keep in mind, we have retiring conservatives, too. So we're not even breaking even. So there's that. What else do we have? We have West Virginia. So, you know, West Virginia is the, is the big thing. Everyone's talking about the Senate race um, to go up against Joe Manchin, the general. Um, that, again, this was another two-man race that started out as a two-man race. Um, Evan Jenkins, who is a rhino congressman, Again, another Shelley Moore Capito versus Attorney General, State Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, who is look the conservatives are supporting because they don't want Jenkins and they're scared and they're scared of blankmanship, you know, and his antics and craziness and baggage and that he can't win a general election. So I, I get it; they're supporting Morrissey. What I would tell you is, whereas Morrissey would kind of be a McConnell leadership guy, Jenkins will be like Capito. She'll be he'll, he'll be to the left of leadership. But I mean, really? Again, I'm not judging anyone. You know, Cruz and Paul and the Senate Conservatives Fund supported him. My buddy Ken Cuccinelli, you know, he's personal friends with Morrissey from their kind of state attorney general cabal days together. I, I, that that that's their choice. That's fine. I, I don't. I understand it. I'm just saying. You know, everyone's focusing. Oh, oh my gosh! Evidently pulling, and we'll see what happens. Don Blankmanship, this crazy guy, um, might be winning, and everyone's like, "This is crazy." We keep throwing away Senate seats. Well. Here, here's again the problem. Clearly, Morrissey is not speaking to what voters want to hear. So you're going to get the chemotherapy. Sadly, I, I don't, I don't support these candidates that are nutty, that don't know the issues, but they'll just say I'm Trump and I hate Mitch McConnell. But you know, ironically, many of them once they would even get in there, theoretically, even if they would win, they're so dumb on the issues they'll they'll just fall in place with the establishment. A lot of these guys. You know, th- this is the this is the predicament we're in. You either get just pansies. I'm saying even if you don't get the pure establishment guy, the guy is just a pansy. He's not going to do anything for us. Maybe they'll get Paul or Cruz's endorsement, but they're not going to be like them. Or you're stuck with the crazies. But if you don't want people going towards the crazies, then actually get candidates that will speak to where the base is. But we don't. And that's my point, that the way to solve this issue, a lot of people are like, how do we stop this blankmanship type of thing? Well, if we had state conventions where you'd have a level playing field against people like Evan Jenkins, you would have more conservatives willing to run. So, like, from my end, I don't care. You know where I am. I just don't care anymore. I don't care if blankmanship wins. Just to screw it to McConnell. Not that I think he's a conservative and someone worth supporting. I'm just saying, I don't care anymore. Oh, so Joe Manchin won't be defeated. And let's say he is. I just don't care anymore. 
again, I respect and understand those who want Patrick Morrissey. What else do you have there? So you have, on the House side, District 3 is open um, because Evan Jenkins is vacating. And, you know, I'll let you know if anything different comes up. But everything I know, it's going to be another similar Evan Jenkins puke who wins. Then you go to North Carolina, which is the sleepiest of all because there's no statewide governor or Senate race up. It's just House races. And again, one after another, you have a bunch of candidates with no legitimate opposition um, that voted for the omnibus. They're pukes. You got George Holding. You got Virginia Fox. You got um, people like um, Pittenger, McHenry. The only legitimate conservatives you have are Mark Meadows and Ted Budd. I guess you could say Mark Walker somewhere in the middle. So the only one we have is District 9, Pittenger, has a legitimate challenger in Mark Harris. But we should have people like that in every district. So good for the cl- club for growth, for getting involved, and I'll let you know what happens. But I, I wanted to give you guys just a basic roundup. And, and again, you know, disclaimer. I'm not as knowledgeable on this stuff as I used to be. I'm not focusing as much because there aren't really any stars. So I'm not going to get so invested in, well, this guy's at least a little better. Again, there are places where there are better candidates where I'd rather, I'd rather Mike Braun win in Indiana. I'd rather Morrissey win over Jenkins, at least the blankmanship. I don't care about, um, Otherwise, there really isn't much to look at. But that in itself is the problem. There's no focus. Put yourself in Kevin McCarthy's shoes. Put yourself in Mitch McConnell's shoes. Why should they fear us if our own people don't even focus on this? I can't personally recruit myself. You know I do as much as I can being so focused on dozens of policy issues and trying to work that end of politics. I do as much as I can on the electoral side to try to help and give a platform and advise good candidates. But what if 20 other people did this? But no, our people are not are just not focused. I had a lot of other things I wanted to get to um, on budget, on why McConnell doing a good job, I guess you could say, on Pushing votes on judges is not going to make a difference if you look at the circuits where these judges are going to be, the seats that they're replacing. I could get into uh, jailbreak. By the way, there's a jailbreak legislation that they're going to bring. It's not the full, you know, Durbin bill of getting rid of mandatory sentencing, but it's pretty bad. And, and, And imagine that at a time when we have a drug crisis, we're like, Let's go lenient rather than tougher. And by the way, it has been confirmed now, Marco Rubio tweeted this out, that the Parkland shooter, Nicholas Cruz, was indeed in this Promise program, which is one of the jailbreak programs, very similar to what all the people in the Koch Foundation-funded so-called conservative libertarian think tanks are promoting. Now, they'll disown the Promise program, but it's no different than everything else they're pushing on leniencies on juveniles and keeping them out of prison at all costs. And guess what? The prison population per capita is at its lowest level 
since 1996. And not surprisingly, crime is going up. And while, yes, we never solved the drug crisis, but I think we would all say we would die to go back to the pre-1993, pre-2013 levels. There's a reason we are where we are. Most of it's the border, but there is some element even on the domestic side of this criminal justice reform jailbreak agenda that's been implemented the past decade in all the states. So there we are. There's so many important issues we're going to get to this week if we have time, but I'm, I'm just out of wind because my, my throat ki- is killing me. But uh, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm in a bad mood. Some of it's because of my cold. But all I could do is speak the truth as one person, try to organize what I can, but I need your ideas, I need your help, because it sure as heck is not going to come from a lot, of, a lot of our colleagues in this business. They're just busy promoting themselves rather than promoting what needs to be done to save this country. And even identifying the things that we can do, that Trump has the power over unilaterally without Congress, that Trump promised to do, but it's, he's not getting accomplished, because we don't get in his face. So we're going to continue covering a lot of the immigration-related stuff, as well as other stuff that comes up in Congress this week. We're going to have a full, full rundown of the elections. My buddy Chris Pandelfo, um, one of my deputies here at Conservative Re- Review, he's going to be p- posting an article tomorrow, just kind of the full checklist. And we'll go from there. And uh, anyway, again, th- thanks for all your feedback on Foreign Policy Friday. We're going to try to do this as often as we can um, and bring you you know, new voices. Maybe other times it won't necessarily be with Jordan. We'll be with other, other experts that, that I, we could find. And I'm finding a lot of experts that unfortunately are maybe retired. They're ac- academics now. They don't have a, so much of a platform, but they have a lot of knowledge on stuff and a lot of good ideas. I'm going to try to give them a, a platform. Bottom line is, we're going to do things differently here. We're not going to go with the herd mentality. We're not going to do the group think. And I know that's why so many of you come here and so many of you have been loyal since we started Conservative Review. So that's it for today. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.